Ladies, I have some big news. I have been quietly working behind the scenes to revamp my ebook, 101 Ways to Be a Kick-Ass Stepmom. So years ago, I wrote an ebook with 101 of my top tips and strategies and mindset shifts to thrive as a stepmom. And as time has gone on, some of these tips have felt less relevant, some are no longer aligned, and I have some new strategies in my tool belt. So I decided it was time for an update. As my step family life has evolved, my perspectives and strategies have as well. And the update is ready. And it has more tips. 101 has turned into 120 ways to be a kick-ass stepmom, and the ebook is now available. So there are tips on setting boundaries, disengaging, self-care, marriage, your relationship with your stepkids, discipline, conversations that stepmoms need to have, confidence, dealing with the in-laws, dealing with mutual friends with the ex, dealing with a high-conflict ex, why your stepfamily won't function like a first family, and more. So you can grab your copy at www.jamiescrimture.com forward slash ebook. And if you bought the first version, don't you worry, your updated version is in your library. So grab your copy of the ebook at www.jamiescrimture.com forward slash ebook. Enjoy. Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Gertrude Lyons. She is on a mission to rewrite the mother code and to help women heal their mother wound and debunk the myths of motherhood. She is a master life coach and relationship expert with over 20 years experience. Through her rewriting the mother code initiative, which challenges the traditional notions of motherhood and womanhood, she has become a national mothering revolutionary. She believes that all women have a mother code instilled in them and that the current model for mothering in our culture is broken. It is limited, constricting, and disempowering. In this episode, we talk about the myths around motherhood and how our childhood and cultural experiences impact how we view motherhood, and most importantly, how moms can and should rewrite their own mother code. This is such an important conversation, and I'm really excited to be able to bring it to you. Let's dive in. Gertrude, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Jamie. It's just a thrill and pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, you know, I was just on your podcast and I love that we get to swap these conversations. So I'll be sure to link the other interview that we did as well, because that was such a great conversation. 
But today, I really want to dive into a lot of the work that you specialize in, talking about moms and the myths of motherhood. And it's interesting because I, I feel like we shouldn't still be talking about this stuff. I feel like the conversation <laughs> should be changed, right? But yeah. there is still so much guilt for moms. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about the mother code and your work around that? So when you say that all women have a mother code instilled in them, can you share what that means? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's why I call it rewriting the mother code because this mother code that we have instilled in us has some positives to it, but it's all about actually exploring what is the code that I have inside me. And that's been wired in, in two main significant ways through our upbringing and our family histories, both directly what we experience and, you know, even generationally, and then also culturally, you know, understanding that mothering, parenting is a cultural construct of norms in our current time, right? And it changes over time and it has been very different through the years, but to really explore and uncover what those are, to dig into that, not just assume anything, even from early on thoughts that we have, like, I know I want to have children someday. It's like, where did that thought come from? You know, how was that wired in? And we can go, you know, more into it, but just basically generally to get that we are wired just like a computer is wired. And, you know, we're wired preconception, conception, you know, on for what we think about mothering, how we were mothered, you know, what was modeled for us in our closest relationships, and then what were we inundated with culturally around mothering. So that's the mother code. And so that's why I call it rewriting it, because the exploration that and journey I really want to invite women into is to dive into those waters and see what is that for me, you know, so really in the end, you've reconstructed and it's okay to say that I have my own mother code, but it's one that's been very deeply discerned, you know, critical thinking has been given to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't think we give much thought to what our mother code is. We just become moms and we just do what we think moms are supposed to do. And we just yeah. succumb to all those pressures without really going into it thinking about what that means for us and the type of mom that we want to show up as. Yeah. When you say that our culture is broken, the code that we have in our culture right now is broken, what do you mean by that? Well, when you said, I, gosh, I wish we weren't having this conversation anymore, right? You know, so there's mm-hmm. way historical things, but even if we look like not too historical, but thing, something that came about when Sharon Hayes is... I credit her for identifying a paradigm called intensive mothering. So somewhere along the way, when mothering, parenting shifted, and then I'll also credit Alison Gopnik because she's the one that really brought to the forefront the fact that the term parenting is as a verb, you know, kind of came into being in the 50s, then much more so in the 70s. And things preceded that. But if we just name that, like, so somehow we got to this point where the job of mothering became this total selfless service, turn your life over to the child, your needs fall to the the bottom of the list and everything becomes child-centric. Making that distinction between, of course, we want to care for our child, we want to raise that child and and whatnot. And Alison Gopnik, you know, made that distinction so that she, in her book, The Carpenter, Carpenter versus the Gardener, vice versa, 
where, you know, we've come into this culture now where we're, our job is to make this child, right? And then not only are we supposed to do it perfectly, they're then supposed to become this perfect being that we worked at and like a carpenter more, we've chiseled into a certain form that reflects well in society, reflects us well, and they're this amazing being, you know, and then she prescribes a more gardener approach where it's like, you plant the seeds and then you water it, you you get in the muck with it and there's manure and it's messy and you have an idea of what you want the garden to look like, but nature and forces and all of that, that we get to be with and then, you know, to enjoy that process and really be fully present to that process. So, you know, when we're still in this culture of feeling like there's a right way to mother, it's broken. There's no one right way. That's why there's a gazillion books on parenting and not one book, because if there was one right way, we'd have the one book that told us how to do it. But that's just not the case, right? So we get caught up in this in this belief that we're somehow either supposed to intuitively know, and then we don't intuitively know, then there's certainly are experts that are going to tell us how to do it. And then sometimes that expert advice doesn't feel right for us, but then so we go against it, but then we feel like we've messed up because we're not doing it how the experts say you're supposed to do it. So, you know, all of that kind of leads to us not being in touch with ourselves so that we can create a mothering paradigm that works for us individually. And some of those resources can be helpful in that inquiry, but there's no one methodology or way of being that is the right way. And so how do you recommend a woman does that work to dig into what that means for her. Because in theory, this sounds great, but then you, you know, go to pick up and you go to drop off and you see all the moms and they're doing all the things, or then you feel like you want to go to work and then you feel guilty because you're not around for your kid all the time, or you, you end up yelling, but then you read that moms aren't supposed to yell. So, you know, it's, it, there's just so much out there, right? So, and I know, I understand why moms are feeling guilty, but I just wish that we didn't have the pressures that we still very much have. So if you were to talk to someone about how to decide what their own mother code is and how to do that work, where do they start? So you can decide if you want to start with your from your head or from your heart, right? But eventually you'll have to do both of them. Starting from your head, when I was just talking about some research, I think it's really useful and it was enlightening to me. And then the women I do workshops and coaching with, you know, to take them on the journey to look at the history of mothering, to the history of birth, you know, and how that's changed over time, just to get a sense that like, oh my gosh, like what I'm sitting in here now hasn't always been this way. And I can laugh about you know, a hundred years ago when they were telling pregnant women not to look at pictures of ugly people because it it would upset them while they're pregnant. And, you know, like just, <laughs> we can totally, right? Like laugh at wow. some of the, yeah. and be heartbroken at some of them, just, you know, how practices, you know, f- for millennium, you know, and particularly patriarchal, pra- you know, culture and how that's influenced the mothering paradigm. Mm-hmm. And just to, you know, kind of become a student of mothering, you know, we, we, we jump into this job with this belief that it's intuitive and everyone's doing it and I'll just do it like them without kind of doing our research, without doing our homework to kind of see where we stand now. Because all of this, what we want to want to support women to is to move toward a vision for themselves, right? And their mothering. So this is one aspect of it. You know, what happened in cultures? What do I like about some of what's happened in history? What do I like, don't like about and identify 
I don't have to say right or wrong, just like, what do I like? What do I resonate with about practices, current practices of, you know, the whole continuum of mothering? And, you know, so there's that journey to go on. And then the heart aspect, that's kind of more diving into and doing our personal work around our wiring, right? And that's kind of similar in the investigative process, but can be a lot more, well, it should be, honestly, a lot more emotional, a lot more, am I willing to go on a journey that's going to bring up all of my stuff, you know, my unfinished business and go into those unconscious waters to find out more of my own self-awareness, like who I am, kind of really create a core self so that when I'm in the pickup line and I'm feeling pressure just with what I'm seeing or an interaction that happens, you know, between um, me and another mom and is to identify, like really have the emotional intelligence, which is a skill to build. How accessible are my emotions? You know, to be able to say to myself, like, ouch, you know, what that woman just said, even to another woman or to me, that hurt, that hurt my feelings, right? Because Mm -hmm. without that simple, what seems like a simple act, you know, my mind is going to spiral. I'm going to be taken back to some historical moment, you know, of being bullied as a child or criticized by my mother. I mean, I don't mean to make these seem so simplistic, but, you know, I I, want to give the sense of how this actually can work. And I can in that moment identify that. And even if I don't identify it there, even by just responding with the emotion, I'm going to get some semblance of myself back to myself. And then I can say later, oh, this really triggered something. This is some good work for me to do. And I can go on that journey with myself. So Mm -hmm. some of it's creating it in the moment. I've created a vision for myself out of this study that I've done, you know, historically and with myself so that then I have some some places to go that I've created, right? That I've built for myself that I said, these are my standards. This, these are what I value. And they're in question right now. And you know, the the alarms went off. For sure. But so if I am asking myself these questions and trying to come up with my own mother code and what my values as a mom are, what are some questions that I can ask myself to really dive into that. Obviously it comes to our values and what we, how we want our kids to feel and the, you know, type of home we want to have and and what we want to achieve for ourselves. But can you give me some specifics for, for maybe some moms or stepmoms who are like, yeah, okay, what is my mother code? Like, how do I get really secure in who I am and how I'm showing up so that I'm not feeling this guilt and I'm not feeling this pressure? Yeah. So some of those questions can start simply with like, what was the mothering atmosphere I grew up in? Right. Like really just identify that. Like, and it, that could start from a, like, I don't have to feel all the feelings right away. Cause some of these, you, you know, you might want to do with a coach or, you know, with somebody, cause as feelings come up, as you ask yourself some of these questions, you want to be able to have all the feelings, you know, and be with somebody that can support that. But you can yeah. still ask yourself, like, what was my atmosphere like? What did I like about that? What didn't I like about that? Because we're either unconsciously doing exactly what we grew up with, you know, or in some form of it, or we're reacting against it. We're saying, I'm going to be not mom. I didn't like these things. So I'm going to be not mom. So I can ask myself, be really straight. Like, what did I feel like worked? What didn't? And sometimes on the outside, it gets, you know, my mom did all these great things, right? Like she was warm. She was attentive. She allowed me to have my feelings. Like I can list a lot of positive things like, yeah, I might want to be those things too. 
And I had, that's a lot of pressure on me. Now I, she did it so well. You know, I've had women tell me this, like, I don't feel like I could ever measure up to my mom. So just starting to like, look at like what, when I ask myself, what was my mothering atmosphere, do an inventory of all the things that come up about that. You know, my mom had kids to get her needs met. You know, she said that in a more positive way, you know, like my forties were my best because I had you guys and, you know, she didn't have a strong relationship with my dad, kind of more like roommates. I had a very enmeshed relationship with her where became very dependent. And, you know, it was like if if I wanted her approval and attention, I did what whatever she wanted. Right. So without mm-hmm. exploring that and kind of saying what's so about that, I could either do that same thing with my kids, right? Like that's where I'm going to get my needs met. That's what you do. You have children, they meet your needs. You know, husband can kind of step to the sidelines because I have them now. So I was able to sort out what what about that worked, but most of that didn't work, you know, but there were some aspects that did. Mm-hmm. So then I also don't just do the not, right? Then it's not like, oh, kids, you're on your own. I'm going to stay, you know, way over here and separate. And you can, you know, do that inventory next. What behaviors do I see that I'm kind of in the midst of that are just like I'm doing with mom and I'm kind of cringing? What are ones that I'm doing that I like and I feel proud of? Because I do think our mom can show up. And and sometimes I remember, and this is all moms, right? Like all moms have like when they're getting their kids in trouble or whatever is going on and then the kids grow up and then they say the same thing. And it's almost like you stop. You're like, whoa, <laughs> did I just become mom? Yes. I was on the phone with my sister the other day and her um, son was putting doing something in the back of the car when she was driving. And she turned around to give him crap. And I said, whoa, is mom in your van? (laughs) Like you literally sounded exactly like her. And it's interesting because I do think we need to reflect back on our childhood with an open mind, but also with some like critical analysis saying like what worked, what made me feel good, what made me feel safe, what was effective, what was not, what do I not want to do? And go from there but how do women prevent themselves from getting caught up in the pressures when they're coming up with that code, right? Because in their mind, they could say, well, I want, I wish I had a mom who, you know, had a homemade snacks every day after school, or I wish I had a mom who was showing up and doing all these things when that's maybe not what they want for themselves or aligned with them and their journey in life. I love that, you know, because I, I think even just how you said it, like that's, that's kind of a beautiful like through line, right? It's like, well, you know, what was missing in mine? Like, I think I would have liked to have that mom that was like kind of the earth mother is what I'm paradigm is a little bit what I'm picturing, right? The homemade fresh food all the time and, you know, just go to school with that beautiful, perfect lunch. But that's, that's not me, right? Like that sounds like, ah, you know, or I have a different value. Like that's what she did. And now I see Hmm. Is that something I want to develop in myself? So I can ask myself the question, like, is that, is that a value I have? Is it, and I do value it, but is it something I want to take the time to develop, you know, and what other values are surrounded? Like, even if we just talk about kids making their own lunch versus you making their lunch. Right. And, uh, it's, it's a thing. My, I chose to have them make their own lunch so that there were some aspects of, because I felt like my kids had a lot done for them, that they needed to do some things themselves. <laughs> and that was going to be one of them. And they'd complain, and you know, but I held 
and my husband, you know, that we also do want to create independent thinking children. So what are some places I'm going to do that? So there's kind of some strategy that, that comes along and you're still, it doesn't mean that you're not doing that to avoid the feeling. You're still going to like, your kid's still going to say like, Jane has this amazing lunch. I want one just like that. And then you get to have the conversation. That's not what our family does. And here's why. And I hear you. I understand. Like that's, you know, I would like that lunch made for me too. (laughs) Yeah. Jane's mom rocks. It's interesting. Growing up, I always wish I had the mom. We had like a pizza lunch on Fridays and moms would bring in cupcakes and help run the pizza lunch table at our public school. And I lived with my dad. So my mom wasn't, didn't do the pizza lunch. And I always wanted that mom. I wanted a mom at that pizza table. I was always jealous of the kids who had moms at the pizza table. And I was like, I'm going to be that type of mom when I grow up or when I become a mom. But that is like my own personal hell standing there as the person I am now. I'm never going to make homemade cupcakes. I'm always going to buy them. And I am never going to volunteer at a pizza lunch at a school ever. I can almost guarantee it because that's just not who I am. So that's actually interesting too, right? Because I do think that's where the guilt comes in, right? These are the things we should do as a mom to be the good mom and the guilt that comes with that. No, and you're saying something and just you reflecting it back, Jamie, really helped me see also because I was really with you and you're saying like, I live with my dad. I wanted that. I wanted my mom to be at the pizza table. These are two different Mm -hmm. things. There's like what you should and kind of want to do now and who you are. But then there's also tending to that little girl that didn't have mom at the pizza table. So these are kind of the Mm -hmm. two sides of it, right? Like there's what do I value and everything. But when something comes like that up like that, that I feel guilty about now, and I'm like, I don't want that. But I remember this little girl who wanted that. And I said, I would be that mom. That's like a, a little, you know, inner child wound, right? And Mm-hmm. You know, that's a place of healing because something I don't think I made clear or mentioned, like my point or my desire, you know, to have women go on this journey of rewriting their mother code is to have a more fulfilling experience of mothering one that, you know, isn't tipped in the scales of guilt and, and all that. But also there's this transformational opportunity. There's this opportunity to grow up with your children. You know, there's this opportunity mm-hmm. to heal past wounds. and particularly when you're in the heat of, you know, raising your children, that these triggers, that that memory that came up is tender and, you know, something for you to be able to take into your coaching, your work, you know, for yourself. And, and then mm-hmm. you can decide like, well, I'm not going to be that pizza mom. Like that sounds terrible, but like, how, how can I have, you know, that for myself or when I'm giving, if I do decide to do something for my children in that vein, then I'm doing it, I'm putting little Jamie next to them. You know, I'm, I'm putting myself mm-hmm. in the scenario. So I'm also not trying to, you know, just do for them what I didn't get, you know, because some moms will do that. Like you, you were very clear, like, no, nope, not going to, I feel a little guilty about it, but it's <laughs> not going my to. my own personal yeah. health would be. <laughs> yeah. I can relate. A huge priority for me over the last year or so has been my sleep. My bedtime routine is something that I'm trying really hard to be deliberate about, Because I know that when I get off the screens or read a book or journal and have a hot drink before bed, I sleep way better. I've also learned the difference that great sheets can make. A few months back, we got the bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. We got the sheet set and the duvet cover. And guys, I can't even. 
They blew my mind and are by far the softest, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept in. And I get hot at night and regularly get the night sweats. And these sheets are temperature regulating, which is perfect because it helps keep me cool. Certified free of harmful chemicals, easy to wash, won't pill, and have a 10-year warranty, I cannot recommend these bamboo sheets enough. And of course, I have a code for you, so you can use the code JamieS40 for 40% off. Yes, 40%. Investing in good sheets makes such a huge difference in your sleep. And when you get good sleep, you show up as a better version of yourself in the morning. You deserve it, and the people in your life deserve it. And seriously, they're just so soft. So Jamie S40 for 40% off. You can go to Cozy Earth's website or jamieskrimder.com forward slash Cozy Earth and use the code and you'll be good to go. Sidebar, Cozy Earth also has the bamboo jogger set that I'm always posting about on Instagram. Also so freaking comfortable. Highly, highly recommend. Here's something that just kind of popped into my head. So when we're feeling this mom guilt, if we are struggling with feeling like we should be showing up in a different way, is it useful for us to dive into where that's coming from? Like, why why are we feeling that? Like, does a lot of that mm-hmm. stem from our childhood and our insecurities about how we're showing up and whether our needs were met and that kind of thing? Yeah, 100%. Like, is it deeper than just society? Yes. And that's why I like to look at both, right? Like, society perpetuates it. You know, there's like a whole business around catered to try and feed into mom guilt. Separate topic. Because really... The, the mm-hmm. juice and the meat is to notice it so that we can take it into the personal realm. You know, that's where the treasure is so that when we're faced with the cultural upsets or guilt, you know, we, we can stand with ourselves, be with our feelings, notice what's coming up for us and like use that material versus being buoyed by it, feeling like we have to comply to it in that way. Because you're going to feel guilty about something that I may not. I may be like, oh, you know, could care less about that. And that's only because of our different personal wiring, because culture will be telling the two of us the same thing. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's interesting. So I'm going on a trip with my aunt and my cousin in a couple weeks, and I'm leaving my daughter for a week. And that's huge for me, right? But there's this huge guilt that I have wondering if she's going to be okay with me being gone. And I was such a homesick child growing up, but I do believe that's because a lot of my emotional needs weren't being met. Like I didn't have a secure attachment with my parents. I was always very, I never really knew what to expect in terms of their ability to show up for me and my emotional needs. So I was feeling this as a child. And as a child, I was super homesick when they would go away because of all the uncertainty around it. And I've brought that into adulthood And it's affecting how I show up as a mom. I know facts. My daughter is going to be completely fine. She is with her father. He is totally capable. She has strong attachment. She's secure attachment. She is going to be fine, right? But still, it's like that child in me is bringing that mom guilt here. I just kind of figured all of this out as I was, you know, having this conversation with you. But just as moms, just the power of going back and being like, where is this coming from? Like, why am I succumbing to this pressure? Like, what is this about? Well, and you did such just just right there, such a beautiful job of of identifying, you know, what this was for you, why it was coming up for you. And and then just that reality check, right? Like she's had such a different upbringing. You know, there's so much more Mm -hmm. attachment. And, And it also doesn't mean that she might not miss you. 
she Mm -hmm. may miss you, but that's still very different from your experience that was incredibly different. Like yours would be more on the spectrum of like, will they come back? Any number of things, because things have happened that either weren't expected Mm -hmm. or, you know, were pretty significant and traumatic. So how do we stop? It's not, and then how do we stop ourselves from projecting that onto our child, right? And like assuming she's going to feel that way, the very inkling of her showing a sign, we're like, see, she feels the same way, but it's not. Yeah. Then, you, oh yeah. The guilt's true. That's right. <laughs> right. And that's that breaking that paradigm for you. It's coming up for a reason. And there might be another layer of work for you to do personally on it, but that you'll need to continue to check in, you know, throughout this time with yourself, like with reminders that when that feelings come up, what's actually going on with me in this moment that I just thought of my daughter who might be missing me right now. Like, oh, I got to call my Mm -hmm. daughter. She might be missing me. It's like, you just said you're with your aunt and your cousin, right? And you're traveling. Like there could be something in the immediate atmosphere that's going on that it just becomes imperative that you talk to your daughter right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's really interesting. And that goes back to my my need to control. I think as moms too, we have a lot of guilt around need to control and we have this need for our kids to show up and dress a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way and be the star of this and all of that. And I know for me, as I've like grown into this role as as a mom, I've really had to check myself and like my controlling tendencies and like, why is this so important to me? Why am I trying to control this situation for them? And I encourage moms who are struggling with the mom guilt or trying to portray this perfection. Where's that coming from too? That that goes back to your childhood. That goes back to the pressures and the trauma and the wounds, or even just the messages you've received from your parents about what a quote unquote good mom is. Totally. Now you have myths of motherhood. Can you share maybe your top three myths that, because you have 14 myths. There's 14. um, And I will link that for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. But what are the top myths that you think are really damaging to moms in our society today? They're all geared toward, if you read them all, you'll see like there's shades of truth. They're not just like, oh, these are completely wacky or wrong. It's just we overdo them or overemphasize or think this is like the way. But they generally tend to feed on our fears, our guilt, you know, and, and kind of how we're supposed to be. But I think one of my top ones is the more a mother tends to the needs of her children first, the better mother she will be. And then there's several kind of in that theme of if I put my child first, that makes me a good mother. If my husband understands that and he understands that he's now second and then I'm down the list because maybe I'm working so then my job comes in there first. But anything that that puts the mom and taking care of herself anywhere out of the top spot, <laughs> I guess, you know, so to speak, yeah. is is a problem. You know, because women can understand, most women, you know, that I work with, like, yes, I know I need to take care of myself. But this thought that, like, I'm taking care of myself first and foremost is still very much in our paradigm of, like, selfish, of course, in the extreme we're not talking about narcissism. We're not talking about, you know, like, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't care about you. You know, it's all about me. But I like to use the metaphor of a, of a tree. You know, that core of that tree is me. And if I'm not tending to that core and making it as solid and tended to and nourished as possible, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be weak, right? So then when the winds of guilt and, you know, pressures and things like that, like, the less stable that tree is, right? The less it can withstand mm-hmm. the pressures, you know? So 
I, I believe that one's like literally the core. And then, you know, if you're in a relationship or your next kind of closest parental or, or whatnot, you know, relationship with you is the next ring. And then kids are actually out here because you're number one, you're their model. You know, number two, the more you're taking care of yourself and mothering yourself, the more mothering you have for others. And it's, it's, we feel that burnout. We feel that, ugh, like at our wit's end and what the heck am I doing all the way to martyrdom, you know, aspects. And I like that, but I think it's so hard for a lot of moms to fully understand that because they're thinking, well, what, how can I put my kids towards the bottom of my list of my priorities? Like why is, you know, my, my relationship and, you know, myself and all of that, why is that first? And I think sometimes they get kind of messed up in the way they're looking at it as if it's like you have to choose one over the other. Right. So it's not like your kids saying, mom, I need a ride to school. I need you to feed me. And you're like, no, you know what? Mom needs some yoga right now. So unfortunately, I'm not here to meet your needs. That's not what this is about. Like, this is about trying to find that balance. And it's not always that like one over the other. Exactly. But the first thing that's going to fall off a mom's list is herself. Yeah. And it's about making that a priority. It's about saying, no, actually, I'm always going to prioritize self-care and taking that time for me because I know personally when I'm not taking care of myself and I walk in and there is a sink full of dirty dishes, I'm going to lose my shit on all of the teenagers who haven't figured out how to open the dishwasher. But if I'm feeling good, I'm going to come in and be like, hey, guys, like, not cool. We got to get this dishwasher. Can you guys please come up and, and do that? Yeah. Two very different situations, right? Will come out of me being okay with myself. Right. And one, you've probably taken care of yourself. So you're not as like heated and charged, but two, something to name this about taking care of ourselves is I've had the intention. There's a system in place for my kids to get the dishes. And then there's consequences if they don't, right? I'm giving that responsibility to them with a system that's taking care of myself, right? It isn't, you know, just the, like you said, the separate time that I need, or I'm not going to tend to this. Like, no, I will be satisfied. You know, this house will run because really if mom's happy, everyone's happy. And we really are the quality control of the home, but it doesn't mean we should do everything. It just means that shit's going to get done. Right. And everyone's going to play their part. And if you don't, then, oh, I guess you don't get to do this. Or, you know, there's a lot, logical consequences are always the best, but a consequence that has impact. And I always like to make that distinction, punishment versus consequence. Like, you know, they have a choice. They do the thing that we've agreed to or- Love me a good natural consequence. Right? <laughs> or a natural one, right? Our kids have found many a dish in their in their bed. Yeah, my dad used to do that, and I used to think he was a psycho for doing it. And then now I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to put this this zoodle <laughs> container on the bed. <laughs> but I, I actually can't because, like, the child in me is like, you cannot go there. <laughs> I just want to name one, if you don't mind, one other little thing because you said that about, like, you know, putting myself first, my relationship. And, you know, the relationship one can be – that doesn't have to be, like, big things. We let our kids know, you know, this is my pride primary relationship, you know, and you guys, you know, are a result of that, but also, you know, you kind of come next and they're like, well, 
you know, they would have these like big fits about it. And then, yeah. you know, when they were little, it meant like they'd always try and worm between us, you know, or like when we'd sit on the couch, we'd sit next to each other because we wanted to, right? And we, we need those little times together because most of the day we're not, right? It isn't just to like, I'll show you, you don't get between us. It's more, we need those time together. We need a date every week. You know, we are going to, and the family's going to figure out how that date happens for us every week. We're going to have a little bit of time every day where just the two of us talk, you know, things like that. I think sometimes our mind goes to like such extremes that then we're just like, oh, forget yeah. it. <laughs> it's not a big thing too. Yeah. I do think that a lot of people take this literally saying, oh, well, that you need to choose. It's like picking one or the, over the other or, and, and many times it's not. Now to wrap this up, I do want to go back and just kind of give people a little bit of a recap if they're thinking, okay, I don't know what my mother code is. Like what is important to me? Where are my values as a mom? Going back and asking yourself, obviously, the questions, going back to your childhood, asking yourself what worked, what didn't, what you want for your kids, and what's important to you, right? And what's important to you and what you value. Is there anything else in that process that moms can take from this and they can go, okay, yeah, I want to really dive into this and dissect my mom guilt, dissect what you know a good mom looks like for me and like what, how, how that fits into my life and my own values? Yeah. You know, I think if a mom is like kind of said yes so far, or even, you know, does some of the things, you know, kind of on her own that we just talked about, it's, I have to say, honestly, it's going to hit a point if I want to keep going and really experience this paradigm of rewriting the mother code and, and transformational mothering, I like to call it too, you know, you're going to need help. I know you do coaching. I do coaching. It's just that it's a hard thing to do on our own. Right. So it's, I think a huge courageous journey, you know, to go on. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. I always say, right. Cause especially once we already have kids, you know, it's like, this is, I just feel like this is so much as it is. What do you mean? I'm going to add, what do you mean? I'm going to stir up more emotions. Like, you know, if, yeah. when we really get in it, it's messy, it's stirring. And, and I even, you know, hit a wall where I was like, no, as far as I'm going to go for a while. And I regretted it later, but it's, what I thought I needed in the moment to take care of myself. But the women I've coached and that I've seen like, you know, really dive into the process with, you know, a coach, a therapist, you know, someone that can really help them discern and dig into what we laid out, you know, and you summarized so beautifully, a process that can take them through. You know, I, I have a process. Mm -hmm. I think it sounds like, you know, the work you do with people has elements of that and a process of you know, your own awakening, your own growth and development. And, hey, I have these kids and I'm doing this job that is going to stir it all up anyway. You know, why not? Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to happen. And we're either going to feel awful about it and guilty and lash out. And, you know, all the things that we don't feel good about ourselves are going to happen. This, you know, helps us put a, a framework on it and helps us, you know, make something out of all of that mess for ourselves. So. Mm -hmm. And then if someone doesn't necessarily want to dive into coaching or things like that, you know, just even challenging where, where yeah. is this guilt coming from? I think that can be so powerful too. There's a lot that people can do. So much is available now to learn just the basics of social emotional intelligence. You know, learning to mm -hmm. identify our feelings is such a core aspect to all of this. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I will link all of your uh, information so that my community can go check out you and all of the amazing work that you're doing, as well as the podcast interview that we had. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. 
That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, and if the podcast has been resonating with you, I would be forever grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, be sure to send it their way. Now, if you are craving more, head to my website, jamiescrimger.com. There are lots of blog posts and podcast episodes and resources available for you over there. And if you really want to dive in, I do take on a limited number of coaching clients every month. So you can book one call or work with me for three months. Either way, we will create an individualized plan for your unique step family situation. Remember, sitting around biatching about how hard being a stepmom is won't make being a stepmom any easier. If you want change in your life, it has to start with you. Chat with you next week.